Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Tip to Tail. This podcast is brought to you by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only dedicated crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. My name is Bridget. And I'm Sydney. Here on From Tip to Tail, we are bringing you raw, unscripted stories from animal welfare leaders. Together, we'll dive into the work that they do, the struggles they face, and the lives that are saved along the way. Today, we're speaking to Heather Hernandez from Mutt Misfits. They exist to help unwanted animals in situations that could lead to harm or euthanasia. They primarily focus on animals with major medical illnesses, injuries, or advanced age that are often overlooked. By partnering with shelters and the public, they promote responsible pet ownership, spay and neuter, and the adoption of special needs pets. It's their goal to save the unsavable. So let's get started. Hi, Heather. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Amazing. Hot. (laughs) I know. We're really hot over here. How's the weather over there? This week, it hasn't been, it hasn't been completely awful. Um, We've had less humidity than we had in the past. So it's been a little bit of a break, but it's going back up to the hundreds, I think this weekend. So we didn't get too long of a break. I know. I'm, I'm not suited for, for hot weather. We were just reminiscing on Remember sweaters? Remember the heater? Me too. I'm ready for the cooler weather. And my dogs are ready for the cooler weather. I know. That's what I was telling. That's what I feel so bad for my dogs right now. Like, they're just having to sit in the heat and they get the long hair. Oh, poor little poops. I know. I'm sorry. This kitten that I have in front of me is incredibly needy. So he's going to be bothering the camera probably the whole time. That's totally okay. We'll make exceptions for adorable kittens. And puppies and, and whatever else. <laughs> I wish we had more of them, honestly. So, Mutt Misfits, so how did you get into rescue? When I first got out of college, I started volunteering with our local Humane Society. And from there, I ended up taking a job with them after a couple of years. I worked for the Humane Society here in Oklahoma for a while. And then I went on to work for the Red Cross and try my hand at people rescue. And then I kind of realized that animals are more suited for me. So I went back to working in rescue, but I went to the municipal side of things. And then while I was at the municipal shelter here in Oklahoma City, there was a need that wasn't being met for the sick and injured animals. So I went ahead and started Mutt Misfits when I was there at the municipal shelter so that we could help get out some of the animals that are less highly adoptable. The ones that have more medical issues are going to take a little bit longer to get there. So that's how I started it when I was working in municipal sheltering. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And the Red Cross too, I mean, all of that just sounds like you're so well suited for exactly where you are. I'm really lucky to be where I am and I've had the opportunities that I have. And it's literally my dream in life is to help animals. And so, you know, while it might not be a career because, you know, we're very nonprofit, uh, it's exactly where I want to be. So I'm really, really fortunate. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like from what I've seen, just from like the high level you take in so many animals too. So it's not like it's any small thing that you're doing. You're very ambitious with everything that you're going into. You know, it's organizations like you guys and the public that have allowed us to do anything that we've done. So, I mean, that's the only way we've been able to with the support of people like you guys and our donors and our supporters, because without you guys, we wouldn't be able to do any of it because what we do is very expensive and the vet bills are very, very high. And you know, so it's important that we partner with groups like Cuddly to 
get our message out there and get our mission out there because so many times animals that are sick are injured or aren't just the perfect, highly adoptable, fluffy white puppies are overlooked because, you know, they're going to take a little bit longer to get there. So just like I said, it's, it's groups like you guys that help us to accomplish anything and everything we do. It's such an honor. I feel like looking over the animals that you've taken into, it's like you, you don't just take someone that has like hurt paw. It's like all over like animals that otherwise probably have nowhere else to go. So I feel like it's, it's really an honor for us to be able to support everything you're doing. Absolutely. Well, and so how have things been in Oklahoma then around like COVID and the stay at home order and different things there? It's been really, really rough. You know, we're not able to do in-person adoption events. So yeah, we're not able to do in-person adoption events. So that's really hurt our numbers. And so many people are out of work, which means businesses are hurting and it means donations are down. So it's been a really, really trying time. Definitely never seen something like this as long as I've worked in nonprofit. It's difficult. It's very difficult. And there are days that I want to give up and there are days that I think there's, we're just never going to get out of this. We're never going to be able to function to our full capacity again. And then we see the need and we see animals asking for our help or shelters asking for our help and we just can't say no. And so we just keep pushing through and hoping that, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we're going to find a way to keep doing what we do, but things are hard. Things are really, really difficult right now. Yeah. So, I mean, have you had to put a hold on all your adoptions or have you had to maybe get creative with what's going on there? We've definitely had to get creative. We've done all of our adoptions online and then we do individual meet and greets, usually outside for our adoptions right now, which is great. And our adoption coordinator is amazing and she's been able to keep us afloat for sure. But it's just so hard because we went from adopting out you know, at events, we would adopt out five to 10 animals a week, you know, and not just completely stop. So we're still doing quite a few adoptions, but we don't have those events anymore that were just built in kind of organic adoptions that we just don't have. So we've been creative. Um, we're doing kind of drive-by adoption events, if you will. It's definitely our numbers aren't as high as we would like them to be. And that's just because we can't gather in large groups. We can't do the major events that PetSmart and PetSmart Charities usually allows us to do just because of the COVID stuff. We can't risk people's safety. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Yeah. And from what I've seen too, I mean, it's hard because even in our area, I know we, they opened up some uh, like PetSmart adoption centers and, and things like that, but it's hard because you're just not getting the foot traffic you would probably normally get be getting too. So like in my head too, like as a foster, I was like, I don't want my, I don't want my animals going there because I know they're just going to be sitting there um, and maybe not get adopted out as quickly here. I think kittens were a hot commodity for a hot minute there though. So I was actually totally wrong. Like people were like the kittens couldn't stay on the shelves basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I think, feel like the longer this goes on, I mean, I think we keep seeing how it evolves and, and how we're all evolving with it. It's kind of a, a bizarre thing to recognize um, when you're trapped inside by yourself. Yeah, it's crazy. Everything that's been going on and how every part of our lives and our organizations are affected directly by all of this going on. It's been a challenge, but you know, I'm really proud of our group and all of the rescues here in our community have really pulled together to help each other out and just try and keep things moving as best we can. But without each other and without every moving piece of our organization and every 
you know, every person who's doing anything to help, whether it's the fosters or the volunteers or our adoption coordinator, who's a saint or, you know, everyone working together and making it happen no matter what. It's been pretty cool to see that no matter the crazy circumstances that we've been handed, we've still been able to make it work to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. That's so incredible. And I mean, it, it sounds like maybe it's been, I mean, obviously it's been very hard, but the fact that you're still taking in animals and you're, you just can't say no. I mean, it just is a shining example of that. I mean, you're, you're going to come out on top of course, cause you can't not <laughs> with all your hard work that's into it. You know, we've had to slow down on our intake a little bit because funding's just not there, but you know, we're still rocking and rolling. We're taking everything that we can. Unfortunately, we're just not able to take everything like we were before. Well, so how big is Mutt Misfits right now? So right now we have about 140 animals in our program. I want to say like 70 of those are actually adoptable and the rest are going through medical right now. Wow. That's quite a big percentage to still be going through medical. That's incredible. I mean, it, it's very clear that you're sticking to your mission. <laughs> right. I did want to ask because you take in, because you do take in the more extensive medical cases, you know, typically the ones other rescues maybe won't want to take the financial burden of how long are our pets typically in your care having medical care? Like how long does that process usually happen for? So our length of stay, obviously it varies because we will take animals that are on euthanasia list for something as simple as ringworm or something as simple as an upper respiratory infection, which could only take two weeks. And then we take some really extensive surgeries that could take three to four months, but it averages about two months. But again, that it varies so greatly based on the need. So I know we were kind of talking a little bit about just as we kind of jumped on about some of the animals that are currently going through some medical care. So I'm wondering if maybe you can talk a little bit about Boris. I know our community has gone nuts for him. We all love him on, on the team as well. He's like such a sweetheart. So what happened to Boris and how is he doing? So we don't actually know what happened to him in the beginning. We have no idea. He was brought into the Oklahoma City Animal Shelter, which is our primary partner uh, here in the metro about, what was it? I guess it's been a month ago, month and a half ago. And he had this horrible wound right on the top of his head. And we knew it was a nasty wound. We could see that, but we couldn't see just how bad it was until we got him to our vet. So when we first saw him at the shelter, he was just sitting in this kennel, just crying. It appeared that he was unable to see. He couldn't walk. He was just sitting there whimpering and crying in pain. And it was just absolutely heartbreaking. It was so sad. And we knew we had to do something. We knew it would be extensive care that he needed because he has a giant hole in his head, but we had to do something. It was just so heartbreaking. And we knew that there weren't going to be a lot of organizations that, especially during this time, are able to, to help an animal like Boris. So when we got him to our vet, we realized just how bad it was. The whole his skull was actually visible and you could visibly see that his skull was cracked. He was just riddled with maggots and infection and there were just fleas and ticks all over him. But the maggots really, really, I mean, that tells us that that, that had been left untreated for a long time. So he was in horrible condition when we got him. We did x-rays. We saw the fracture in his skull. So it was really touch and go there for a while. We didn't know if he was going to make it. But since he started healing up really well in his foster home, unfortunately, we did have a setback injury to his skull abscess again, and it caused a really bad infection. So then we were back down again, and we're worried and concerned that he's not going to make it. So it's been very up and down with him. But now he is um, acting like a puppy. He's happy. He's playful. 
we brought him all this stuff today that people had donated via Cuddly. And so he's got toys and blankets and beds and treats. And he, we tried to get some pictures so that we could show everyone how much he's enjoying everything, but he really wouldn't leave the toys alone long enough to pose for a picture. But he's happy and he's playful and life is so good for him. We're going to get him an MRI or a CT scan first and then an MRI just to make sure we know exactly what's going on with his brain to see what kind of injuries there might be. But we think he's going to heal up and be a totally normal, rambunctious puppy. So good to hear, especially considering like how much he was hurt, just to know that he has the potential to make a full recovery. Everyone's going to be so happy with that. I feel like even too, like looking at all these like images of how infested he was with something as basic as like fleas and ticks, you see that and you're just like, oh my gosh, like that alone could have taken him down the wrong path. It absolutely could have because he's so young and his immune system is so low. He hasn't even had time to build his immune system up. He was severely anemic. You know, if he would have been left even without the head injury. If he would have been left infested with fleas and ticks like that, the anemia would have gotten to him and he would have probably succumbed just to that, much less the head injury. I feel like that's important to note too, because I feel like sometimes pets come in and they come in with, you know, merely like flea infestations or parasitic infections. Uh, and of course, it's not as, as, um, as serious to read about as like a broken leg or like a head injury, but it's really serious. It can, it can take down a little puppy so easily, just a flea infestation. Absolutely. And it's, you know, here in Oklahoma, because the weather is so hot and humid, we have fleas and ticks so bad. You know, we have very few months where it freezes. So pretty much year round, they're out and they're infesting our animals. And we see anemia a lot in some of the animals that come in, just the ones that have been neglected or the ones that haven't had prevention. And so it is really serious. And it's like you said, it's not something that you always think about because it's not as like in your face as like a major injury, but it's, just as serious. And it can be even more serious sometimes than some of the big things that we see coming in. Definitely. Well, so with so many fosters, I mean, do you feel like all your fosters, do they all have a background of being able to care for these medical animals? Or is that something you trained them up to do? Like what, what are you looking for in a foster and like how limited, like if I came fresh off and said, I would love to foster for you. Is that something I could be trained to do? Yeah, all that you need is the ability to care and the desire to help animals in need. And we can train you to do everything. Our veterinarian, Dr. Payne, is incredible. She works really closely with all of our fosters to make sure they can, they're never put in a situation where it's going to be too much for them. Um, because a lot of the medical cases that we take in are a lot of work. So we make sure that we're only placing, you know, extensive medical cases with fosters that feel really comfortable with it because we don't want them to get in a, situation where they're overwhelmed or they can't provide the care that the animal needs. So our vet staff and our foster coordinator, our foster coordinator is incredibly knowledgeable medically. So she's really good at walking fosters through any problems that they have. Unfortunately, with the nature of the animals that we take in, we do see more issues arise during the foster period. But just having the right people there to always back up our fosters is key to making it work. Definitely. I mean, I feel like too, like you look at some of these animals and you're like, well, I mean, I can donate obviously, and I can, I can share, but getting involved feels really hard. But sometimes, I mean, from my experience, what I've seen is like a lot of these animals really just need that place and that person to like be giving them the time and space to heal and obviously any medical treatments that they need. But 
it's a, it's more in reach than I feel like a lot of people realize. It really is. Like I said, you need to care. You need to want to help and you need to have the time to be able to help. And if you have those three things, we can teach you the rest. Amazing. I know. I feel like that's the one thing that I've, I've really taken away from talking to all these rescues for this podcast is like so many people came from a background with almost like no experience. They just had the heart for it. Um, and it's like, that's, that'll get you so far. <laughs> it really will. That's all it takes to get started. And if you have that, we can teach you everything else that you need to know to be able to provide the best possible care that these animals need. I love that. Kind of takes the intimidation out of all of it. Everyone comes from a place, you know, of no knowledge and you work your way up and you learn so long as you you right, have the desire to. Definitely. So I know we also have a, a pet on our site that you've, you've been caring for named Rory. It, that's another one that our community just went crazy for. Um, Cause she's, I was, well, I mean, of course, like just so little and young and in such terrible condition for being so young. Could you speak about maybe how she's doing? Yeah. So Rory came to us and she was completely hairless at the municipal shelter. She came from, they called her pinky because she was just this little pink thing, just this little worm looking thing with no hair. And she was itchy and, Everything bothered her and she was just so tiny and so young. And it's heartbreaking to see someone so young having gone through all of this horrible things at such a young age. You know, she's only like, she was, I think, seven weeks old when we got her. And she'd already seen more in her life than most animals do, you know, throughout their entire lifetime. So it was heartbreaking. But she's doing so, so good now. She, her hair is almost all the way grown back. And she's actually going to be looking for her forever home soon. I can't imagine that thought like that foster that had her just to see that transformation too of her gaining all her hair back. And that's gotta be so satisfying to see. It really is. It's so rewarding to see them come from the worst place and the worst physical condition that we sometimes get them in. And then seeing them transform and turn around to do a complete 180 is just incredible. And to actually get to visualize it is really cool to get to see and get to be a part of. I mean, especially, I, I love that this is all grown out of you working in the municipal side. So, I mean, you, you've seen the people that work there and who do have the heart for this, but of course they have limitations that are, that definitely are roadblocks from helping these animals in the way that they probably should be helped. And I love that you're stepping in and being like, okay, like that's not possible there. So I'm going to create a place where it is possible. You know, I love our municipal shelter because they allowed me to do that. They allowed me to kind of cross that barrier between private rescue and municipal sheltering because they knew it would be for the best interest of the pets. And so, you know, even though it's kind of outside of the box, that's not usually how municipal shelters work. They saw that there was, an, we had an ability to do more. We just have to look at different avenues that we can do them through. So I can't speak highly enough about our municipal shelters. You know, shelters get a bad rap because people call them the pound or the dog catchers, but in all reality, they're the ones that are not turning away any animals. I have to turn away animals because I don't have the funding or I don't have a place to put them. But municipal shelters don't turn anyone away. If there's a stray animal, an injured animal, a sick animal, they're going to take it in. Whether or not they're able to get it entirely through to adoption, not all of them are going to, but they're doing the front lines of the work. And unfortunately, they don't get enough credit. I think they're the ones who are doing the hardest job and they're dealing with the most numbers. And what they do is just incredible. And I hope that anyone listening to this takes, you know, the time out of their schedule to learn a little bit about their municipal shelters and issues that they're facing and how 
we as nonprofit rescues can work with these shelters so that we can make a bigger impact in our communities. I love that you said that because shelters do get such a bad rap sometimes. It's not their fault that they don't have the funding to necessarily see an animal through all the way through the healing process. Um, They're doing the best they can. Definitely. And I know from our experience, I mean, we've seen rescues who have such great relationships with their municipal shelters that that person at the front desk is making that call as soon as an animal comes in, like, hey, this animal's in terrible condition. We're not going to be able to help it. Can you step up? And that's saving lives because of that relationship. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to foster that relationship at all times because I want them to know that they can lean on us and they can reach out to us for animals that they can't handle. And I might not be able to take them all, but the ones that I can take, that's going to save their life. And that partnership's what's going to get it there. Right now, I mean, with how things are developing, I mean, it sounds like you you need adopters, you need fosters and donations, right? Is there anything else going on in the organization that that you feel like you'd want to call people's attention to? No, I think right now, I think we're really just trying to partner with as many organizations as we can and harbor good relationships with everyone in our community so that we can just keep helping each other out, keep helping the animals in our community. No one organization can save an entire community. So right now we just really want to harbor really good camaraderie between other organizations, help each other out with adopters and donors, and just try and keep spreading our mission. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine everything that you're going through. And it's like, let's add one more hurdle on top of that. Um, <laughs> so. I mean, with so many animals that you're taking in from these shelter situations and that you do target medical needs pets, is there one story that really stands out to you? Probably the most difficult animal that I've ever fostered um, came through our organization. She is also to date the most expensive animal we have ever saved in our organization. She had seven facial reconstructive surgeries and it cost upwards of $12,000 to save her life. And everyone thought we were crazy for doing this, but we absolutely couldn't have turned our back on her. It was funny. My husband and I were actually walking through the municipal shelter, working on some other animals. And one of the shelter staff comes up to John and me and says, hey, you still take injured animals, right? I said, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we do. And they said, well, we've got a dog that just came in with a broken jaw. And I'm like, a broken jaw? Okay, we've done this before. We can do this. No problem. Show me the dog. So they take me back to the receiving area where the dog had just come in from the field and the dog's jaw was literally hanging off of its skull, hanging off. And I've never seen something so brutal in my entire life and just was not expecting it at all. They said a broken jaw. I thought it would be kind of crooked, not completely hanging. So immediately my husband scooped her up and we rushed her to the vet and she was terrified and screaming the whole way. And It was just heartbreaking, but we knew that we weren't going to give up on her. And every single day that I had that dog in my care, I knew I would wake up and she would have passed away. I just knew it because she was so difficult and she was so touch and go. And her case was so extreme. I'd come downstairs and I thought, this is it. Okay. I did my best, but she's not going to make it today. And every day that dog was alive and she made it through and it cost us more than I can even I can't even fathom how we found the money to find, to save her life, but we did. And thanks to our vet, she now has uh, no bottom jaw, but she has a really floppy tongue and an amazing family that loves her dearly. So it was worth it. It was worth every um, scary moment, every heartbreak, every tear, every 
sleepless night because she made it. So that was Angelica. And she is, was actually adopted by some friends of mine. So I still get to see her regularly. And she is now about a year old. She's naughty. She's <laughs> playful. She's got attitude and sass. And I am just thankful every day that we're able to help animals like Angelica. I want to say chills, but that gave me chills. Just picturing her like right there. Did they ever find out perhaps why she was like that? Did they ever suspect that? I mean, as sad as it is to say, any like human involvement or she was hit by a car or anything like that? She wasn't hit by a car. So what, it's kind of a sad story, but it ended up that the owner was charged with um, felony cruelty charges. But I mean, at least it was a case in which, you know, legal action was, was taken. I know a lot of times that, you know, people tend to get away with it or rescuers can't find who did it. And so it's silver lining. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it is, it is a silver lining because someone was held accountable for it. We've had a couple of cases like that where we've been thankful to work again with our municipal shelters because they're the ones doing the, the cruelty charges. We don't do anything like that. So with their help, we've been able to make sure that justice has been brought to some of these, to the owners of these animals. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine so many people in our community. I mean, they'll see all these animals that have been neglected or abused and they get so angry at these people who've done this. And of course, all of us are angry, but I love that your focus remains like, listen, whether or not this person comes to justice is, is up in the air, but your focus remains on the animal themselves and helping them heal. I can't even imagine it. And just the cases we've mentioned, I mean, these animals are all so young to have experienced such terrible things. That's, I think, the most shocking part for me. Definitely. And they, they see such horrible things and they're just so resilient and emotionally they're so resilient. And yeah, whether or not we're able to get every single owner to justice, I wish that we could. And I wish that the world was fair and everything was dished out in a fair manner, but it's not. So we can just focus on what we have control over and that's the ability to help. And the ones that we can help, we want to give it our all. And the ones that we can't, we just keep trying in order to um, honor them in whatever way we can. It's such a good mindset to have. Just control what you can, let go of what you can't. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine you must be so resilient to be able to face as many hard cases um, and cases. I mean, Sydney and I were just talking about the fact that so many of these animals that we see, like there isn't always a happy ending. Things do take negative turns and it's, it's just part of the game a bit. We wish we could always tell all our donors like, and now they're healed and happy and living in a wonderful home, but it, it's just not the reality. I wish it was. And we've had, we had one campaign in particular with a little dog that I fostered called Poyito. And he was a tiny little puppy that came in. He had been colored on with markers. He had hydrocephalus. He was just barely alive, clinging to life. And I fought tooth and nail every second that I had him for him to survive. But unfortunately he didn't. And, you know, while it's awful and heartbreaking, at least I can rest knowing that I did everything I possibly yeah, that you showed him love and he he knew he knew what it was to be cared for in his last days. That's that's the most you can ask for sometimes. Yeah, it is because what we do is not pretty and it's not glamorous and it's not all puppy kisses and tail wags. It's a lot of it's a lot of hard work and a lot of heartbreak, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> no, it's it's our group. It's our entire group working together because there's no way one person can do any of this fight alone. I mean, I was just going to say, it, 
that's the best part about having a big team too, is like, even when maybe your feelings like, especially low one day, there's always someone else to be like, all right, it's okay. I can carry the slack today. I'm here for you. And I understand where you are. And I understand that tomorrow's going to be a new day. Absolutely. And what we do every day is so it takes a toll emotionally. So you do have to have those partnerships with your team or other teams or other organizations or even just family members and friends that you can really rely on and say, hey, today sucks for me. I need you to help pick me back up or help pick the animals back up. And without that team, there's no way we could do this because what we do is just so difficult sometimes. Well, so we kind of have some some lighthearted questions because I know we've we've been a bit of a downer in your day and I'm sorry, it's Friday. I mean, yeah, then again, you're surrounded by like kittens and dogs right now. So, so um, <laughs> it can't be so bad. We never asked, do you have personal pets? You yeah, I have lots of personal pets. I have, let's see, I have Wilbur, the one who just got in trouble behind me. I have two of my own cats, one named Grandpa and one named Chips. And then I have, let's see, three hairless dogs. I love hairless dogs. They're like disgustingly cute and ugly at the same time. So I have three hairless dogs. I have Ralph was my other favorite case that we've ever taken in, in our organization. Whenever we found him, he was found in a dumpster and he was, he weighed like 20 pounds, no hair, just completely covered in scabs. Someone had thrown him away. And so the shelter immediately called me and said, Hey, we've got this dog that was found in a dumpster. It's mangy. It doesn't weigh anything. It's dying. Can you take it? I was like, yeah, sure. I'll be there. So on Easter Sunday, last year of 2019, I went to the shelter to pick him up. And he is now this big, giant, fathead dummy who lives with me forever. And he's never going anywhere. We call him King Ralph, but he's just like the biggest, goofiest. He has no idea he's 100 pounds. He thinks he's still that 20-pound little stick that he was when we first got him. But he's awesome. And then I've got, who else do I have? I don't even know. I've got several fosters that are never going to get adopted. One who's like 100 years old. One who only has two legs and one who's incontinent. So a bunch of them, I can say they're mine too. Oh, little fish and chips. Oh, I should have done that. I wish I would have themed name my animals. I love like power to people who have themed name them. So you can pick any of your animals then for these questions. It's, it, I guess it follow your heart, <laughs> whichever was the right direction. So if your pet was president, what would be the first thing they said? Oh God, if it was Ralph, it would be something stupid like, I don't know, like whose butt can I lick or something. He's just such a goober. He's such a goober. Probably something like that. He's like just a big dummy. You know what I mean? And I say that in jest, but he's just like, if he could have, like if Ralph would walk around like with a, like a tune, like a song behind him, it would be like, like the circus theme because he's just such a goofball, you know, he's like clumsy and goobery. It'd definitely be something like whose butt can I lick? Oh my gosh. The goofballs are like my favorite animals for sure. Cause you're just like, oh my gosh, it's always the big ones. Yes. <laughs> so what are your top three favorite pet names? One of my cat's name is Grandpa. So that's I think that's a pretty legit pet name. I think grandpa's good. I have a Selma Hayek. I feel like that's a pretty good name. And then I have this really weird obsession with this actor named Danny Trejo. So one of my favorite dogs that I ever had, his name was Machete because that was one of the characters that he plays. So I got to go with Machete. 
I'm going to go with Thelma Hayek, Machete, and Grandpa. I like it. It's like a little bit of everything. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so good. Okay. And what is the naughtiest thing your pet has done? So Wilbur, the one that was just carrying something behind me that was being awful. I had a new fence put in a couple of months ago, probably like six months ago. I had my fence installed in my backyard and the fence guys had been back there and they, oddly enough, and this is not like a joke. I wish it was a joke, honestly. They had a machete and we're cutting down like a bunch of the trees. We have a whole bunch of trees in our backyard. So they've been cutting down limbs and branches and they had the machete in the backyard. So I go through the back gate and Wilbur has the machete in his mouth by the handle. And he's just happy as can be wagging his tail. He's like, look what I got, mom. And I freeze. And I'm like, what do I do? Because if I try and grab it, I can't grab a blade. You know, this is a huge machete. And he's just like happy, like so proud of himself. Like, look what I did. Thank goodness he dropped it. But I was like, what if he tries to come at me and like play with me? And he has a machete in his mouth. So thank goodness nobody was injured. We quickly learned that machetes are not safe in our backyard. I guess that should have been a no-brainer, but that was by far the worst thing. And my dogs do some naughty stuff, but that was the worst. That's so terrifying. You're just like thinking of every possibility. You're just like, oh my gosh, this can hurt so many people right now. Oh my God. It was insane. I like, it's only funny because nothing bad happened. Like so many things could have gone wrong. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You can laugh about it because it's so funny you say that too. One of my, one of my puppies, when they were little, um, they did that with one of our BB guns. I don't know how they, they, they got in our garage, jumped up on like a plyo box that we had to jump up on like the counter we had, grabbed the BB gun. We were cooking or I forget what we were doing, but we didn't notice at first. And he was just chewing it, chewing the handle in his bed. And I was like, oh my God. And he was just sitting there like nothing was wrong, like wiggling his little butt, like, look what I got. This is good. So I'm happy someone else has gone through that because I I felt like I was like, oh my God, my dog would have just hurt himself. He could have hurt one of the other dogs, but of course you can laugh about it now. So if you had to pick one life motto, what would it be? Let us not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time will we reap harvest if we do not give up. It's a biblical quote, but I, I, I wish I could tell you what it, what it was, but I actually don't know. But it's a quote that I've heard and I actually had it on my Facebook for a long time. I just thought it was a really beautiful quote that reminds us no matter how bad things suck sometimes, keep going and keep fighting and it'll all work out the best it can. Thank you so much for chatting with us about everything going on. It's honestly just so nice to put some stories and and hear a voice to everything I see coming out of Misfits because I feel like it's just constant. And I'm like, whoever this is, these people do not stop. They do not sleep. Yeah. And I mean, we feel so honored just to be able to throw in what little we can to help everything that you're doing. It's so amazing. Well, thank you. You guys have kept us afloat so many times. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks again. We absolutely love talking to Heather today and hearing all about her collaborations with local shelters and local rescues, hearing about the process of her medical rescue, and even hearing about the transformations and updates of current Cuddly campaigns that she's doing right now. Uh, It was really amazing. We're so excited to be partnered with them and to hear about all the work they're doing. If you'd like to learn more about Misfits, go ahead and check our blog or our show notes. 
You can also find out more about us and all the rescues we work with on our social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks so much.